Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Hello and welcome. Welcome everybody. Uh, online, in person. Yeah, so cool. Um, yeah, we'll be discussing today, uh, we'll be talking about uh, Dukkha uh, today. And um, yeah, uh, Dukkha, this, uh, this Sanskrit word means it's translated in many different ways. We could translate it in one word. We could translate it as, um, we could translate it as unsatisfactoriness. We can translate it as uh, imperfection. And uh, yeah, it was great sitting here during this meditation. Like all meditations, it's, it's not perfect, right? Um, our inner environment, not perfect most of the time. Maybe yours is, mine's not. <laughs> Our outer environment. And since we're moving back in person now, back at Sacred Roots, we're in a live organic environment. And uh, like I've mentioned before, I think I folded this into the talk a couple of weeks ago in that uh, we have neighbors above us and we have outside conditions, you know, we have traffic now, we have like the wind blowing. And then we have, we have neighbors that are doing what neighbors do, like stomp around and flush a toilet and we can hear all that and talk <laughs> and all of that. Um, and it's interesting, you know, speaking of dukkha and imperfectness, it's interesting to watch the mind and, and to watch where maybe the sound that the traffic's okay, maybe that's all right. Um, you know, maybe the wind's okay, uh, but maybe the sound coming from the neighbors is is not okay. Maybe there's a bit of aversion there, and and watch the mind contract a little bit, wanting that not to be there, wanting it to be perfect in a different way. I remember Ram Das talking one time and he was leading a meditation and there was it's a bit it was a big group big crowd of people and he remembered thinking he looked at the sea of people and he was like wow look at all these buddhas you know they're all meditating like look at all these buddhas amazing they're in this big hall and he said then like the hall next to them or the room next to them or something started playing loud music all of a sudden right during this you know meditation he said i watched them change i watched them shift you know lots of aversion on their faces and whatnot and he thought where did all my buddhas go like where are all the buddhas at <laughs> they were buddhas a moment ago uh they were meeting they were meeting phenomena in a different way. Uh, they lost this spaciousness, which is one thing I wanna kind of 
tap into today is this, this, this aspect of spaciousness that we could find by recognizing dukkha in all of its um, different manifestations and then finding the space, space around it. So, you know, in this practice, whatever came up for you for this, you know, half hour, there was whatever the phenomena was. And then there was also space around that. So even with whatever sound is arising, there was a lot of peaceful space, right? Just like in our minds, our minds could be busy. So, you know, we get this a lot like, oh, my mind's so busy. Your mind's infinite. <laughs> and so there might be a bundle of thoughts in the mind. And if we attach our attention there, it looks like, wow, what a busy mind. The mind's infinite, there's infinite space. You know, even if this room was filled with furniture, there'd still be a lot of space in, in this room or wherever room that you're in. So we want to take notice of whatever's arising for us and what we might be attaching to, and then the space around as well. Uh, so we actually did a, like a whole month on the Four Noble Truths, which the, the core of the Four Noble Truths is basically Dukkha. And um, I taught three of those classes and David Lee taught one. So I don't know what David Lee you know, spoke about, but I wanted to still talk about Dukkha some more because it's so awesome. <laughs> it's such like a direct like relief of suffering. So um, one, you know, basic, on a very, very basic level, which we're trying to find perfection, like the, the, this perfection outside of ourselves and, and outer conditions, right? So when we look at dukkha and imperfectness and just the reality of imperfectness, and this really hits home, we're doing that obviously for the, for the understanding of, for it to finally click. And I, I say this at nausea, I know that it's just not out there, right? So. So it's not out there. That perfection is not going to exist out there. And the good part is, is that perfection, depending on how we're relating to that, to that word can exist inwardly, right? So, so it's not out there, but we can you know, tap into that. So uh, the, the dukkha is normally taught that there's the three kinds of, of suffering. Uh, there's the suffering of suffering, the suffering of change, and what is called all-pervading suffering. This is really good news, right? <laughs> so awesome. All kinds of suffering. Um, so the, the, the suffering of suffering is usually what we think of when we think of suffering, like, ouch, this hurts emotionally, mentally, you know, physically, just when things are not going well. Um, this is... The, the suffering of suffering. The second one, the suffering of change. This is my favorite. This is my favorite kind of suffering. <laughs> For me, this is what really releases a lot of, of my suffering. And because the, um, the, the suffering of suffering is kind of more obvious, like how we're working with that. This one's not so obvious. The suffering of change relates to, it really hits home when we're looking at the changing of, of something good, right? So when, when something is, is good, 
and then that something goes away, there's a suffering, right? So we could think of like um, a good meal, you know, a good, uh, you know, uh, relationship, it could be a sexual experience or like any of these types of things that was really good. And then the mind will want more, <laughs> more of that, right? And so when, when that thing goes away, then there's obviously that, that attachment. And so there's a form of suffering in that. So when the good goes away, it could be, um, yeah, it could be a sport or something that you know, we want to do again. There's a certain kind of suffering in that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then there's all-pervading suffering. All-pervading suffering is, is uh, this, this, the nature of, of being alive. In fact, and it's just that there's no way to be completely comfortable, right? And again, this is all relating to external, right? Not internal. So again, we're going to get to this, right? That in, in externally, so there's no way to get comfortable. One thing I, I like to pinpoint here is this: like, like we're all sitting, whether you're you're at home or you know, here alive, and just notice that you're always going to be shifting and moving. Like even just sitting here. And even if you're in a recliner or even in bed, we move around in bed. We have these, you know, maybe in an expensive bed, these state-of-the-art mattresses. And what do we do? Toss and turn, right? Because not even, even lying down, there's a sense of, oh, I can't get comfortable, right? Or the temperature in the room is not exactly right, right? So that's like all, all pervading suffering. So. I want to read something from uh, Kathleen McDonald. Uh, this is from her book. Um, it's it's an interesting, very mundane title. It's called How to Meditate. <laughs> it's one of my favorite books. It's um, I kind of, in a way, wish she would have uh, named it something, I don't know, more elaborate or something. <laughs> She's a, a, an amazing teacher. She's a Tibetan uh, Buddhist nun. She's really incredible wealth of teachings. And the Tibetan tradition has very kind of esoteric, very unique uh, practices. And almost all of them are outlined. This is an instruction manual on like Tibetan practices. There's deity practices in, in here, Vajrasapra practices, Tenrezig practices, um, Avalokiteshvara, the Buddha of compassion. There's even Tumo practice in here, which is the practice of inner heat, a very, a very, um, what's known as a kind of a high-end, you know, practice in Tibetan Buddhism, but they're all safe for the public to, to, to use. So there's versions of these practices that are safe for everyone to use. So anyway, yeah, amazing book. And um, she has a meditation on dukkha in here. So on how to contemplate these three types of suffering. And what I do, if you end up getting this book and looking at these meditations is, it's a really good idea to record, you can just record yourself on your phone, record it on an app, especially with these analytical meditations like this one, record yourself talking it out and then, and then play it back. You know, a really, really good book. Um, and so she writes, and this is in the section on, on Dukkha. Um, 
So she goes over the three types of suffering and it says, but don't panic. The situation is not hopeless. Thank you. <laughs> there is a way out of this cycle as there is a cause or false view of the way things exist. There is, necess there is necessarily a cause of the end of this suffering an antidote. The final antidote is to develop the right understanding of the nature of reality and thus cut through our confusion and our habit of following ego's whims. Read that again. The final antidote is to develop the right understanding. So right understanding, right view, this is part of the, uh, the full path, right? This is basically the end, right view, right understanding. If we have the right understanding of the nature of reality and thus cut through our confusion and our habit of following, and thus cut through our confusion and our habit of following ego's whim, right? So like the sound that was happening, a thought could be that shouldn't be there or I wish it wasn't there, right? I'm meditating, right? So it shouldn't be there. Another view is anything could happen at any time. I could almost expect it to be there. And in fact, because I put this, this um, idea out there that I was looking for a perfect meditation, subconsciously, like we kept, right? Because we're meditating, right? Whatever that might be. Therefore, being that we brought that in, it was, there was some suffering because of that view of like, it should be a certain way. But right understanding would be whatever, when I sit down, whatever happens, happens. And this is my meditation, right? So that would be right understanding. Right understanding was when we sit down here, we don't even know if we're going to finish the meditation or not. Like somebody can come in and say, uh, you didn't pay your rent or something. <laughs> like, I don't know. Something could happen right we don't really know so this would be right understanding right? Is, is imperfection like unsatisfactoriness the unsatisfactoriness like just unpack that just for a quick little moment is is that yes if we attach ourselves to any kind of concept or view then because of impermanence it's going to lead to unsatisfactoriness of 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 reliable and sustainable contentment or happiness it's unreliable that's the unsatisfactoriness. It's not, not reliable. So in the meantime, she continues, we can use our life and energy in positive ways like helping others with love and generosity and counteracting harmful attitudes in our mind as they arise, as our understanding of reality grows. So, so, so too does our detachment from ordinary transient things. And our web of confusion gradually uh, entangles. Finally, this understanding becomes a direct intuitive perception of emptiness, which eliminates once and for all the very root of suffering. So along the way, we work with like ethics, morality, like service and on all of these things and our, and our meditations. And then finally, this understanding becomes a direct intuitive perception of, of emptiness, which eliminates once and for all the very root of suffering. So emptiness, you know, very, very big topic, uh, very kind of deep topic. Uh, but emptiness of things, the things are not inherently existing from their own side. And basically there's a, there is a, a dropping off 
of this separateness, when we have this, this hit of emptiness, this subject object, like I'm this way and the sound is that way, that falls down, right? That falls apart, right? So if the sound and the knower of the sound are not different, there's no dissonance. Yeah, but if say, if we're in meditation, there's an eye and the eye is doing something and something's happening to the eye that's separate from the eye. <laughs> when you understand emptiness, there's no fixed permanent eye and that eye is not different than that which it's experiencing. So the experiencer and that which is experienced, there's no dissonance there, right? Again, broad topic, but we can, we can understand how there could be a falling off of, of suffering, right? There'd be a negation of suffering once we start to feel that, that blending. We wouldn't call it oneness, you know, if we, if we like, right? But like Mingo Rinpoche says, it's not one, but it's not two. <laughs> I want to bring in, I want to bring in this idea of spaciousness um, a little bit, and also the opposite of. Um, there is an opposite to dukkha called sukha. So I want to bring this in a little bit. Um, Rob Priest, I think that's how you say his last name. Uh, he wrote. A uh, really nice book called The Wisdom of Imperfection. I love the title. And, uh, and he writes a little bit about this. In our contracted state, we lose relationship to the innate space that is present in reality. If we can open to it, our reality is in fact spacious, fluid, and essentially free. Because of our deep-rooted insecurity, however, spaciousness is, is intolerable to our fragile hold on self-identity. It becomes a source of profound anxiety. Interesting to note, spaciousness can become a source of anxiety, which um, I don't know if you felt that, I've, I've definitely felt that. In our ignorance, we are blind to this spacious nature and live in a contracted state called in Sanskrit dukkha, Duke is literally translated to contracted space, which I, I really do enjoy that, uh, that translation. In contrast to open space known as sukha, the term dukkha is, however, usually translated as suffering or unsatisfactoriness, while sukha is a quality of bliss. I recall on occasion when I was working on our house, gradually tiling the kitchen. I had planned to do it in a particular way and felt all was going as I hoped. We did not have enough tiles to complete the job at the time. And so it was suggested we should do it a different way. I began to feel contracting. This would require taking half the tiles off in a particular area to finish another part. I could feel myself gradually closing in closing in to a narrow defended place that was totally locked and unmovable. I was beginning to feel pressure to do something that felt utterly unacceptable to me. <laughs> there was no space to move and I was ready to explode. In a matter of minutes, I had turned that open spaciousness with which I was working into a contracted hell of my own making. So relatable. <laughs> like I totally feel 
<laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. And they have to take off those tiles. Um, and again, imperfectness. Now, if we come into, you know, if you come into the project and anytime through the project, holding on to dukkha, holding on to unsatisfactoriness, holding on to imperfectness, we know the next moment might shift and change. Holding on to that, the root of this of dukkha is recalling all the time impermanence, all the time. From the moment we start practicing meditation, we're recognizing the nature of impermanence, the beauty of impermanence. We focus on the breath moving, shifting, changing. Sounds are moving, shifting, changing. Body sensations are moving, shifting, changing. We seem to only notice impermanence when there's big impermanence, there's big loss, big change. And then we're like, oh shit, that changed. I can't believe somebody passed away or something like that. But actually everything is changing every moment. And if we are really in line with that in a profound like experiential way, we're in line with that. There's not, nothing's a surprise. Like, of course it changed. Of course it moved, right? Of course this was there and it's not there, right? I want to bring in just a little bit of um, Anana Sutta, which is the where Buddha is actually talking about uh, Sukha and the four aspects of the opposite of Dukkha. I just want to bring these in because we're not usually talked about. Um, we talked a lot about the suffering piece, but <laughs> so these are just kind of more mundane uh, avenues for. Um, I think it's how it's of these. So this is more of the, the four types of happiness for a householder uh, partaking of sensuality. That's why. Um, these are four types of happiness that can come from these four different things. The happiness of earning wealth by just and righteous means. The happiness of using wealth liberally on family, friends, and on meritorious deeds. The happiness of debtlessness, to be free from debt. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> um, the happiness of blamelessness, to live a faultless and pure life without committing evil in thought, word, and deed. So these types of things, you know, Anila, the, the, the nun, uh, Kathleen McDonald was kind of pointing to this, like in the meantime, you know, do, do these actions, right? As our understanding uh, ripens. Of these, the wise know that the happiness of blamelessness, the last one, is by far the greatest householder happiness. Economic and material happiness is not worth one sixteenth part of the spiritual happiness arising out of a faultless and good life, right? So that blamelessness, and again, to live a faultless and pure life without committing evil and thought, word, and deed. Okay, I wanna read one more thing, but I'm, I can't remember where I got this from. Okay, I think this is Anam Tukton, amazing monk. I don't like when I don't that, that, like where I source something from. Sorry, whoever this is. I think it's Anam Tukton. 
eventually we have to realize the truth. Things are impermanent. Things are not under our control. We have to tell ourselves, this is the truth. You must accept it. Yeah, this is on people. At first, ego says, I don't like this truth. I can't allow this truth. Then we give it a few days. The ego says, this is too much for me to handle right now. Leave me alone and I'll think about it. I may change my mind. So now there is ego, but there's also this kind of weak, wimpy awareness <laughs> arising. <laughs> and this wimpy awareness tells ego, this is the truth. Please accept it. And they talk. The ego says, oh, no, I'm not going to accept that. That cannot be the truth. Truth should be something else. Truth should be according to my definition of what is true. For ego, that means that now there is a, there is a possibility that we can control reality. There is a possibility that we can rearrange the universe the way we want it. More than that, there is a possibility of controlling everything while being on the spiritual path and searching for truth. How could it be more convenient? <laughs> the more we meditate, the stronger awareness becomes. That is the power of sincere inquiry. Awareness gets stronger and stronger, and eventually ego becomes weaker and weaker. Resistance becomes weaker and weaker. Soon we realize that awareness is completely occupying our body, mind, spirit, and heart. Now we are completely in alignment with truth. Finally, we have accepted the true nature of things. This is inner liberation. In that acceptance, there is great bliss because with it, we are really free from self-imposed, from the self-imposed prison of ignorance. That last line, that ignorance is pointing, obviously, right back to dukkha. The, in, the ignorance, the basic inner ignorance is everything should be perfect or everything should be like this, whether it's perfect or, you know, whatever it is. Like if we're, let's say coming here, if you came here physically today, like I should be able to get here without traffic or whatever, whatever that might be. Yeah, so there is this intellectual and spiritual 180 <laughs> that we could do um, from depending on external circumstances to be a certain way to depending on the knower of circumstances and the innate qualities arising within that. So when he's, when Anam Tutin here, this is in a book called No Self, No Problem. He's speaking to you know, awareness and awareness is accepting things as they are. And that's part of the bliss. That's part of the bliss is that um, it's kind of like, uh, it reminds me of that debtlessness, you know, like we're even, like there's no dissonance. That's part of it. One thing he's not mentioning in here that there's also all of these amazing qualities of awareness that we don't get to tap into because we're too busy trying to find perfection outside of ourselves. We don't get to see the equanimity in awareness. We don't get to see the, the peace and the, and the calm and the clarity and the luminosity and the, uh, 
tranquility, you know, of, of that spaciousness. Because the mind's always grabbing at stuff, so it can't see itself. Right? All those things that we want, stability of just, just this stability, kind of almost a safety that we're looking outside of ourselves. We can't see that. With all these intangibles, you know, that we get to marinate in and discover when we're not busy trying to find perfection, you know, outside. All right. Um, so I want to break us up into groups. I've got to get back. So I want to get. I want to break us back. Uh, break us up into into groups, and yeah, maybe discuss like what resonated for you, uh, if anything, <laughs> uh, in in our talk today, and maybe we could share some some of our experiences with, um, and you could be as vague or general or whatnot that you that you like, but uh, things that you would like to be different. Than what they are <laughs> that kind of you know grab us or, or just the nature of that just like noticing like when we don't um and again too we, when we speak of dukkha this does not mean actively trying to shift things right so this is not um a dukkha we're not going to moving into indifference this does not mean not to act and do things morally ethically that need to be done it's doing so in an unattached way, understanding interdependence and impermanence. And, and this brings so much resiliency to the heart of compassion and compassionate action, right? We have so much more resiliency when we remember these things. So yeah, maybe we could just share in that. Uh, what landed for you, uh, if anything, today? And then what, what do you find is sticky you know, in, in your life? Um, you like to be different. Welcome back to the online crew. Uh, we, can, we can kind of see, Casey, you're just really small. <laughs> yeah, true. yeah, I'm over here in the pano. Yeah. It's, yeah, we put it on speaker mode. It should be going to the speaker dynamically, but um, but it's not. So, it's got a great view of the water fountain. It's awesome. There you go. That's what it's all about. Yeah, so does anyone want to share uh, with the larger group uh, what came up for them, either in person here or um, online? This is something that, um, in terms of the uh, Duca. Can you speak up a little bit, Rick? Like on our, our audios, it's a little Jeff harder to. The only one, yeah. Um, yeah, he was having trouble hearing me as well. Um, and I, my, my mic's all the way turned up. But anyway, um, I found this a while back from my Sifu when we would do our practices in the park. And he would help us to understand that, you know, if there's a barking dog, you know, some people would ask, what do you do if there's a barking dog, you know, and you're trying to practice? And it's just like, it just won't shut up. I mean, it's just, and, um, you know, he's basically teaching us, like you were saying, to go to the barking dog meditation, you know, and, or the uh, chainsaw meditation or whatever happens to come up. And so 
I've had some practice with this, but then at the same time as, you know, you know, I had a practicum to get today because I felt that, you know, because I couldn't make it there in person and I'm on Zoom, I found the gallery view when you were doing your Dharma talk to be pretty distracting. I mean, and, and, and the, there's a lot of depth in the talk and it, just trying to hang on to it. And, and um, I ended up switching to the speaker view because it was just easier to have less things going on and wondering, hmm, I wonder what this person's doing or whatever. It's just like I couldn't help it, you know, but having, so it was just interesting to have that. Uh, um, and, and then of course there's the suffering that goes with, I mean, it's like, I wish I could, you know, retain more of this. It's always mm -hmm. an interesting process for me, so. Thank you. So I, uh, I had both, uh, things that, you know, I didn't like, and then, but I also had a recent experience of something that I didn't get hooked on. So, uh, I was sharing with folks that in the, about eight minutes into our sit, the, uh, my washer just started making this annoying beeping sound <laughs> that I could hear through the closed door in the other room. And so I spent most of the rest of the 21 minutes or whatever it is just bound to determine I'm not going to get up and go turn off that damn sound, which is driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All, you know, and then when the, 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 you know, the sound stopped about five or six minutes before I think we were done, I don't know exactly what time, but that's my sense was because, you know, Melissa got home and then of course she shut the door to try and be nice, but that trapped the dog in here who was going crazy because there was somebody in the other room going around and he couldn't do it. So anyway, so I traded one, I traded one thing I didn't like for another thing I didn't like, but anyway, so lots of, lots of unpleasantness and unsatisfactoriness or whatever the word is in the sit today. The only, the only good news was when I finally was at my wits end and sort of cracked up on one eye, I could see it was at 1029. So I'd survived. So it's all <laughs> so, so clearly lots of little things that still stick, but I, I was struck uh, last night. Uh, I was coming home from uh, a family event with my, with Xander, who you many of you know. And my his my my mom, his grandma had given him a plant or something like you know a little plant container, and we were taking it home. And you know when we were getting on the freeway from Fullerton, I completely forgot that there was a plant in the back of my car. <laughs> Took the on ramp probably a little faster than I should have. And we were driving, and all of a sudden we heard this ka dunk, ka dunk, ka dunk, ka dunk, ka dunk <laughs> across the back of the car. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, at a different point in my life, you know, before, you know, before I have calluses, for, you know, before I had sitting calluses, I would have absolutely lost my mind and been <laughs> mad at him for putting this plant in a stupid thing, been mad at myself for how could I be so stupid that I forgot and blah, blah, blah. And instead I just, kind of, you know, without even really thinking, right? This was just an automatic response. I looked over at Dan and said, well, be interesting to see what that looks like when we get home. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm sorry, I totally forgot it was in there. And Xander was very nice, you know, he said, oh, no problem, Dad. I'm sorry I made a mess in your car. I said, Xander, you didn't make a mess in my car. You set it down nicely. You know, I just forgot. And sure enough, we, we drove on and that was it, right? We just kept moving. And then, 
you know, I forgot again that was there and probably stopped a little too quickly and we're a second. But maybe this time I remember that I had something in the back of my car. But anyway, we we finally got home and of course, you know, there's dirt everywhere. The plants have gotten knocked all over the place, you know. And we, you know, pulled the plot that put it in the middle of the street and get, tried to put it together in the dark as best we could last night. I said, well, just water it, son. Hopefully some of them will survive. And let's put it in your car in a way that it won't fall over again. So and that was it. We said goodbye. It just struck me how, you know, this is it does pay dividends, you know, that something like that. There could have been a lot of a lot of blame, a lot of anger, you know, a lot of other stuff. And instead it was just a plant that spilled and got dirt places and you know, we cleaned it up and that was it. So anyway. Sorry for the long short sorry for the long story. All good. Yeah, it's great to see the fruition of the practice. And too, it reminded me, like when you were talking about the your your half hour meditation or whatnot, and just the importance of sitting together because like there's so many times if if we are alone and those things happen, we don't sit with them. We just get up and change it, you know, and like you let the dog out or or whatever, go change a thing. But uh, but it's so cool. And you might have just not done that too on your own. Uh, but there is a feeling like we're kind of stuck when we're all doing it together. We're like, whatever comes up, we're gonna meet it in the meditation practice and not and not change it. And uh, and then yeah, we learn from that. So it's cool. Yeah. We have time for maybe one more. I've got like five minutes left, so. I guess I'll share. Yeah, sure. Okay. I was just sharing with my group that my neck kind of seized up on one side before coming over here. So I'm sitting and I'm like, I'm feeling super uncomfortable, you know, mm. and I'm trying to just sit with it. There was a moment in the practice where I fully accepted that this pain and I am like kind of lessened and I just got into a zone and, and felt like, okay, like, what if this is here, you know, forever? I thought, of, I don't know if it was Jack Goldstein or who said, like, what if I feel fear for the rest of my life? And it just dispersed. Again. Yeah. Brought that to myself. I'm like, cool, I'll accept this. But then the moment the meditation stops, like, I'm right back to like, senseless, <laughs> oh, you know, and like trying to adjust it and clinging right back to trying to change it. So, you know. But um, I do, after your talk, feel that feel this uh, inspiration to meet my job, which I am ping-ponging from one thing to the other all the time throughout the day from going to teaching, you know, like little bits of meditation to the kids. And all of a sudden, a teacher's got a question about something like, and could be doing with numbers, uh, textbook ordering or dealing with federal grants or this and I have days where I'm just like my patience is thin and I get really frustrated with change and really stressed out but mm -hmm. I feel very excited in some way or motivated to see this as a beautiful training ground for me to embrace change in a whole new way and I'm like mm -hmm. wow I couldn't have been gifted with a better opportunity to practice this so thanks Thank you. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 Thank you. All right. Um, let's just sit together one more time. 
So let's just dedicate or share the merit of our practice, allowing to come to mind that we're all in this together, all beings, all sharing this earth, sharing the air, all relying on one another in some way, reflecting on our interdependence, And also reflecting on the fact that we're so similar at the topics we brought up today on suffering and how we suffer. And also what leads to liberation. And just that core desire of all of us wanting more happiness and less suffering. And finally, reflecting on how rare and precious it is to be able to practice, to hear about these teachings, learn about them, have motivation, have the right environment, have a healthy enough body and mind to practice. Not everybody could do this. Not everyone has the opportunity. So thinking of our friends, our families, our loved ones, our communities, neighborhoods. And the world around us and just wishing that somehow, some way, all beings everywhere, without exception, they could all connect with compassionate, non-judgmental awareness. May all beings be happy, truly, truly happy and free from suffering. Omani Premium. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.